Hello, City First Church family. Welcome everyone join us online and in person today if you are at our Southwest Florida location in Cape Coral. We love you guys very much. And everyone join us online from all over the place. Thank you for being a part of City First. And I want to give a special shout out to God Behind Bars, our Dixon and Hardy locations. Now I realize things during the COVID crisis have been a little crazy. We haven't been able to gather, but I want you to know God Behind Bars, we love you. We miss you, and I want to also say this. Today, because we are a part of a new app that is launching, we have potentially a quarter of a million inmates that are watching right now and joining us here at City First Online. And if this is your first time, allow me to say something from Jen, my wife, and myself. We want to say we love you. We are excited to have you a part of City First God Behind Bars. And we want to say this, here at City First, First, we believe that God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you enough to not keep you the way that you are. And also, everyone is welcome here at City First, and I hope that you tune in every single week, that uh, you become a part of the City First Church family. And, and even though right now we, we aren't physically gathering, we can gather this way through technology, and we just want you to know that we care about you and love you very much. Now, if you're at one of our physical locations, allow me to also point out something kind of exciting that's happening this Wednesday that you should not miss out on, and that is this. This Wednesday is a first Wednesday, and we're hosting a worship night both at our Spring Creek location as well as our Cape Coral location. So in Rockford, the Spring Creek location and the State Line location are going to gather together in our parking lot, and we are going to have an outdoor praise and worship night. It's going to be amazing. Please do not miss it. If you're a part of our Cape Coral family, you do not want to be outside in Florida in August, right? So it is going to be an indoor event, but please also gather. It's going to be a time that we just powerfully gather in the presence of God, and it is going to be amazing. So this Wednesday, don't miss it, all right? Be there. Be a part of what God is doing here at City First. Now, we're in the middle of a series here called Essentials for 2020. Essentials for 2020. Last weekend, Ryan Leak, a part of our communication team, uh, he kicked it off and did an amazing job. If you did not listen to last weekend's message, please go online or go on our app and listen to it because it, it was brilliant. It was life-changing. It was very helpful and informative. But this month, we're focusing on a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and we now call it a book of the Bible, and it's a letter that he wrote while he was in prison. Paul had heard about a church that launched in the ancient city of Colossae. And so Colossae was, back in the day, located in what we now call modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul had never met the people that were part of this church. It was started by a co-worker of Paul's that he launched the church, and Paul had heard about it. And because Paul had spiritual credibility, he was an apostle, he launched churches all over the known world at that time, he felt a conviction to write them a letter and to talk to them about how to live during very unpredictable times. Does that sound familiar? That is why we are looking into the book of Colossians, and we are going to dive into a specific verse, and we're going to hear what the Apostle Paul says and how we can apply it to our own lives. The gist of what Paul's thoughts are, are based upon this truth, that Jesus comes and gives us 
a new life. In other words, it's a new life. It's not a warmed up, band-aided together version of the old life, but rather when we make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of our life, that he gives us a new life. The old life is dead. I realize some of you might be hearing this for the first time and understanding that Jesus is not an add-on into your life. Church is not an add-on. It's not something that you put on top of the pile of your life, but rather when you invite Jesus into your life, he deletes the old life and he gives us a new life. So what Paul is talking about here in the book of Colossians is he's saying this, that we are to live according to a new life that Jesus has given to us. So if you have your Bibles, turn open to Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 12. This is kind of the key verse, you could say, for our series this month. This is what Paul is writing this church about the new life that Jesus gives. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. I want to stop there a moment. That God chooses us to be holy. In other words, he wants us to be holy. He loves us. He's given us a new life and we are to live a new way. He says, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience to clothe ourselves. So Paul's using this metaphor. It's like putting on clothes. It's like putting on outfits. It's a new outfit. It's not the old outfit that you've been wearing, but rather it's a new spiritual wardrobe. You're putting on new outfits, you could say. Like when you got up today, when you get up any day, you think about what kind of an outfit am I going to wear? Now, I realize some of you right now are watching this and enjoying church online and you are in your pajamas. What you're wearing today, you would never wear if you physically came to church, right? And so you're able to do that because there's different expectations today. You're just at home. Now, some of you though, maybe if you're at our Southwest Florida location, you got ready and you came to church in person, or maybe you are watching online, but you're already showered, you're shaved, you're ready to go. You see, you probably got dressed based upon what obligations you have today. Like if you're just hanging around the house, you dressed accordingly. If you have an appointment or you have to go to work, you're dressed accordingly. And so what is Paul saying is the obligation that we as Christ followers now have? Well, we have an obligation to dress spiritually different because we have a new wardrobe given to us. We have a new life. And so the obligation that Paul is talking about here is this, is that God chooses us to be holy. Therefore, we must dress, or in other words, act differently. Isn't it interesting that Paul defines holiness in this way? Like many times, when we think of the word holiness, we think of a person who doesn't drink or smoke or chew or go out with girls that do, right? You see, instead though, Paul is not talking about those kind of things. Instead, he's saying this, that holiness is clothing yourselves in things like mercy and kindness and patience, etc. You know, as parents, Jen and I, We've frequently had conversations with our two older boys about how to dress for various events, right? I think 
any parent out there that has had young adult kids or teenage kids, you, you have these conversations from time to time. And, and I will tell you, most of the time, they dress very appropriately for the circumstances. But every once in a while, we have to give them a little advice. Like, for example, you can't wear a hat to this place, we'll tell them. Or you should not wear sweatpants to this restaurant. Now, most of the time, whenever we get into this conversation, one of the boys will look back at us and say, why? Why can't I wear a hat? Why can't I wear sweatpants? Why can't I do this? And so the answer that I give them time after time, and I know they're very sick of hearing it, is I say this, that you must dress the way that you want to be addressed. Let me say that again. Dress the way that you want to be addressed. I bring this up because some of us are dressing up our personalities in the wrong things, and then we get frustrated when people don't address us the way we want to be addressed. Let me say that again, that we are dressing ourselves up spiritually a certain way. We're dressing our personalities up a certain way, our actions a certain way, and then we're frustrated when people get a misperception about us. Well, we need to spiritually dress the way that we want to be addressed. So at the end of the day, God says that the best way of living, the best way of being in good standing with him is to clothe yourself with these five things. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Like I say this, this is super hard to do in our world today. Not that it was easier 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this. It probably wasn't. But let me be the first to say, this is hard to do. In fact, many people have asked me recently during this COVID crisis in the last four to five months, they've asked me, Pastor Jeremy, do you think that we're living in the last days? Like, like things are crazy right now, right? I mean, like everything, the whole world is crazy right now. And they've asked me, do you think we're living in the last days? Well, I personally don't know. I mean, let me just be honest. I don't know. The Bible says only God knows. But I will say this, you know, I've studied church history as a part of my personal growth, as well as I've studied church history as a part of my graduate degree. And I will just say this, that there have been some pretty bad times in church history over the last 2,000 years. In fact, the first century church thought that they were living in the last days, and obviously they weren't. Only God knows if we're living in the last days. But I want to read for you a verse about how culture is going to be in the last days. And I think it's very interesting, especially as it pertains to how we are supposed to clothe ourselves. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy. Here is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Now, now listen closely, City First. Listen to what he explains. He says, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. 
they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. This next line is what really gets me. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Wow. That sounds a lot like what is going on today. In fact, you know, you look at culture, you look at social media, you look at politics, you look at our, our neighborhoods, our communities, and it just seems like we're ticking all of those boxes, right? Again, I don't know if we're living in the last days, but regardless of whether we are living in the last days or not, you know what's going to stick out? You know what's going to stick out in moments like that? Kindness. Kindness will stick out. In fact, today I want us to take an honest look at being kind. And whether we're living in the last days or not, it really doesn't matter. God wants us to clothe ourselves in kindness every single day. Do you know that kindness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? In other words, you say, well, what's a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible talks about there's certain fruit or results or there's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in a person's life. In fact, we find this in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And then there's a list here of nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. There it is. There's our topic of the day, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, these things are evident in a person's life if the Holy Spirit is working in that person's life. These are like the fingerprints of God. If God has a hand on your life, then here are the nine things, the indicators that he is working in your life. And one of them is kindness. In other words, these fruits, and specifically the fruit of kindness, is evident that a person has the Holy Spirit working in their life. In other words, that it indicates their spiritual maturity in Christ. So kindness is pretty important. We need to look at this, not just blow it off as kind of a nice little thing, but rather we must have kindness in our life because that's an indicator that God is working in our life. Also, Kindness is not weakness. I realize our, some of you are listening today and you're thinking, man, kindness, I've always been taught that, that, that that's weakness. Like if you're kind to somebody, that that means you're kind of a, a soft person, you could say. And, and you know where we get that from? Well, through most of human history, kindness and compassion and empathy was always looked at as a weakness. Like if you had pity on a person that you were looked at as being a weak person that you gave pity to somebody else. Even in today's culture, as we talk about kindness, a lot of people translate that as weakness. So I want to say a statement and I want to see if you agree or disagree, okay? So listen to this statement and, and just in your heart, do you agree with it or do you disagree with it? All right, here you go. Ready? If you want to make a significant difference in the world, be kind. Do you agree with that? Or do you disagree with that? Can I be honest? I don't blame you if you have a hard time agreeing with that. Because most of our culture would disagree. 
They would say the way to make a difference is you go out there and you take the bull by the horns. You, you go out there and you make a difference. You drive, you, you be a go-getter. And, and, and when you talk about being kind, you're kind of like, well, that sounds right, but does that really work itself out in everyday life? You see, we're told to be kind, but we're taught to be a go-getter. So can you be a go-getter and kind at the same time? I believe you can. That's what I want to talk about today. You see, God is all about you accomplishing things for him. He's all about you making a difference in this world, but not at the expense of other people. In other words, that there shouldn't be a trail of dead bodies in the wake behind you as you are a go-getter and making a difference. Instead, there should be a kindness about you. You know, another thing that we need to understand is that kindness must be learned. Kindness is something that is in direct opposition to our human nature. I mean, you look at the world and you do not see kindness as a default. People don't default to kindness most of the time. Most of the time, it's a choice. Our default as humans is usually to selfishness and self-preservation. Like, if you think about it, like from the moment we're born, we're pretty selfish. Like, many kids' first words are ones like no or mine. Mine, mine, mine. And, and, and infants get angry and they cry when they don't get their own way, right? Like I've never met a kind infant before. Just being honest. I really haven't, you know? I mean, I've met cute infants, but I don't know if I've ever met a kind infant. Like when your kid won't sleep through the night, is that kind? No, right? My, my point is that you have to work at being kind. It's not our default. You have to learn it. I would even say this, that kindness requires the help of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it requires the Holy Spirit's help to do a supernatural thing inside of us because to have kindness, it's not just making an effort and making right choices. That's part of it. But also, it is a supernatural work of God's Spirit to bring kindness into our life. So if you're having a hard time being kind, you need to ask God to do a supernatural work inside of your heart. And guess what? Over time, he will. Like, I know this as a fact. This is part of my testimony. Before I met Jesus, I was not a kind person. Like, like not at all. I remember a story from when I was down in uh, spring break at Daytona Beach, and this was in the late 80s, and I remember that in, in the hotel room next to us, there was this, this room of girls, and, and one of them was super obnoxious, and we didn't know them. They were just obnoxious, and every day they were kind of like getting on our nerves. And I remember one morning, uh, one of them called me a name, especially this obnoxious girl. I think it was her that she called me a name, and I remember it just triggered me, and and if, you know, you're in Florida right now, you know this, that a lot of times the hotels have the, the walking corridors or the hallways on the outside of the hotel. It's, like, it's kind of like an outside walkway rather than on the inside of the hotel because the weather permits you to do that, right? And it was one of these kind of hotels. So I was down in the parking lot and I'm looking up at the hotel and it's all these outside walkways and there's dozens of people walking back and forth to their rooms. And this one girl that's really obnoxious screamed something at me and called me a name. And I remember 
that I immediately unleashed on her. And I started to say things. And pretty soon, it was very interesting, pretty soon the entire hotel, every single person walking on this outside corridors stopped and were listening to me and looking up at who this girl was. And I began to make fun of her. I began to mock her. And within 30 seconds, I had everyone that was on the outside of the hotel, I'm talking dozens of people, I had them chanting a name about her. Like literally, we were chanting a name. She got so flustered that she began to cry and she ran inside of her hotel room. And some of you are listening to that and you're like going, holy cow, Jerry, you were a jerk. I was. That was before Jesus. The very fact that I am who I am today, it's a supernatural work of kindness that God did in my life. Yes, it took my effort, my right choices, but at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, it was a supernatural work of kindness. I look back at that instance and I cringe at how much of a jerk and how mean I was, but that was me. You see, if you're having a hard time figuring out how to be kind, you need the work of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to do something in your life. And today, I'm far from perfect, and I'm still trying to continue to work on kindness, but God has done a supernatural work. I mean, look at my life, look at me, and you can say there's a God. There's a God. This is more than me just making right choices. There's a God that's done a supernatural work of kindness. Now, kindness is not necessarily pleasantness. I want to say, say this because I, need, I know some of you think that, that kindness is, is kind of like, well, that's being pleasant or being nice. Not necessarily. I mean, it can be. But we have a picture of what a kind person looks like and how they act. But let me take a moment and say the kindest person to ever walk the face of the earth was Jesus. And there were moments that Jesus looked at the corrupt religious leaders of the day and he called them these things a brood of vipers, and also a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. I want you to think about that. The kindest person to walk the face of the earth called a group of people a brood of vipers and a sepulcher or a tomb full of whitewashed bones. Now, I will tell you something. I will tell you that that definitely doesn't seem nice but actually Jesus was being kind in that moment. See, kindness can be truthfulness. What Jesus was doing was he was pointing out the sin in these corrupt leaders' lives. So he was actually being kind, but not necessarily being nice. Now this should not give us as Christ followers the liberty to go call people names. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is, is this, is sometimes kindness is truthfulness. In fact, recently I had a friend of mine who had a cancerous growth removed from her body. And she went underneath the doctor's knife. It was not a nice experience. It was not a pleasant experience, but it was a kind experience because the doctor, even though it wasn't pleasant, he was doing a surgery that was kind. He was removing something that was toxic to her body that could potentially kill her over time. And in his kindness, he was doing this because he feels like this is what he is to contribute to society, to help people become better. So 
Kindness is truthfulness. Kindness also requires action. In other words, we cannot think that agreeing to be kind is the same thing as being kind. All right? The world doesn't need just theoretical kindness. We need practical kindness in this world. And can I get a big amen from wherever you're at, right? You know, we are to show kindness with our words and with our deeds. It just can't be in our heart. We can't just think kind thoughts. We have to do kind things. You know, if you look at the original Greek word used in Colossians for the word kindness, part of its meaning means to be useful or to act. In other words, kindness is not just something you think. It's something you do. It means it requires action and not just theory. Kindness also should start with our inner circle and work outwards. You know, sometimes the hardest people to be kind to are the ones that you're most familiar with, right? Family, friends, coworkers, people we tend to take for granted because they're in close proximity. I wanna encourage you to start with kindness in your inner circle and work outwards because sometimes it's easy to be kind to somebody you don't know, but how about being kind to those people that are very familiar with you and you're familiar to them? In other words, you know their shortcomings, you're around them a lot, they kind of get on your nerves. You know, in those moments, we become loose with our language many times. We become loose with our actions, with our friends and our family and our coworkers. And we end up saying and doing hurtful things because we let our guard down. Well, I'm gonna encourage us to be kind, not just this week, but for the weeks beyond that to start practicing a different heightened level of kindness with those people that are closest to us. So if you need help figuring out where to start to be kind, start with your house, start with your workplace, start in your neighborhood. Work kindness with the people closest to you and then work it outward, you could say. Start with words that build up and don't tear down. Start with actions that bless and don't create stress. Notice the needs of the people closest to you and start meeting those needs. I'll tell you, kindness is rarely convenient. It rarely requires no self-sacrifice. Rather, it's always self-sacrificing. Most of the time, you don't have time to be kind, but do it anyway, Jesus would say. You know, it's not a bad thing to put yourself in second place and put other people first. In fact, Jesus commands us to do that. He says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In other words, when we are servants, we're most living the way that God wants us to live. Jesus celebrates you when you give kindness to people around you. That's how you begin to live a holy life. Remember, this is a new life. It's not the old wardrobe you're wearing anymore. It's a new wardrobe. If you really wanna make a difference in this world, whether you work in business, whether you work in education, the arts, in nonprofit world, wherever you are at, I will tell you that the way to make a difference is to be kind. Lastly, kindness can turn enemies into friends. You ever heard that saying, kill them with kindness? Well, there's some truth to that, right? In fact, in Romans chapter two, I wanna read for you a verse that uh, is about God's kindness towards us. 
says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? I mean, this is not a verse for the person sitting next to you. This is for you. Don't you realize how wonderfully kind, how tolerant, and how patient God is with you, with me? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness is what turns us from our wrongdoing. You know, this verse means this, while we were still enemies to God, he showed kindness to us. I am concerned about a lot that I'm seeing in culture right now. Because we're thinking that if we hurl insults, if we criticize other people who don't have the same opinions, the same politics, or the same worldview that we have, if we criticize them, if we openly bash them, that somehow that's going to change their mind. That is the most moronic thought that we could have. I mean, when was the last time that you changed your mind because somebody got in your face and called you a name? right? If anything, it entrenches people in their pre-existing beliefs and lifestyles. You see, God says, while we were enemies, he showed kindness to us. He was so kind that that kindness led us to turning our life around and to seeking him so that Jesus would become the leader and the forgiver of our lives. Does that mean that we should be kind to our enemies? Well, if we wanna be like God, the resounding answer is yes. Be kind to those who are opposite of your opinions. Be kind to those who are on the other side of the fence of your convictions. Be kind to those who are opposite of your politics. Be kind to those who are unkind to you because this is what I know. Arguing, debating, posting things on social media, hurling insults rarely changes the other person's mind. But you know what could? Kindness. You know what? Kindness could get their attention. Kindness could even make them wonder if this whole thing about Jesus and faith is really true. You see, at the end of the day, our goal is not to win people to our opinions, but to win people to our Savior. It reminds me of a story that I read recently about a lady by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. She was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University, and she was not a Christ follower. In fact, she was a borderline atheist. She actually thought, and she writes in her memoirs, that before she became a Christian, she thought that evangelical Christians were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, and afraid of diversity. So what she did is she published a critique of a national Christian organization in her local newspaper. And she received an enormous amount of responses. There were people that agreed with her and there were people that hated on her. And so what she did is she decided that she would gather at her desk and she would put two boxes on each corner of her desk, she writes. 
And she went one by one through every envelope. And she would put the envelopes that the people that affirmed her thoughts in one box. And then she put the haters in the other box. And one by one, she went through every single one of the envelopes and the mail that was sent to her. And she put the letters in one of the two boxes. Those that agreed and those that disagreed. But then she came across one two-page letter. So she said in her memoir that this pastor's letter was a kind and inquiring letter. It was warm. It had civility to it. In addition to that, there were some probing questions. And as she read this letter, she didn't know what box to put it in because the letter was not affirming of her views and also the letter was not full of hate. And so it almost went into a third category. And what she said in her memoir, she said it on her desk when all the other letters went into one of the two boxes, that letter from that pastor sat for seven days in the middle of her desk because she didn't know what to do with it. Later on, she writes that she reached out to this pastor and she became friends with the pastor and the pastor's wife. And over a long period of time, their kindness began to make her think there really was a true Jesus, an authentic God, and a true religion that she should consider. And over time, over time, she became a Christ follower. She became a Christian because in part of the kindness of that pastor and his wife. And after she made Jesus her Lord and her Savior, she wrote in her memoir that they, meaning the pastors, talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. That's huge, especially today in our cancel culture. We're trying to cancel and erase each other. The people that oppose us are on the opposite side of our opinions. But here, Rosaria says, it was their kindness, their kindness that made her feel like she wasn't erased. So, City First, I have a question for you today, and that is this. Can we, in a world that wants us to be in one box or the other, can we create a brand new category, a category of kindness that doesn't fit with those that are for us or those that are against us, but rather a category of kindness that wins our enemies to Jesus? Can we create a brand new category? Can we live our life in such a way that everybody else is responding in one box or the other box, but we decide to respond with kindness? Can we respond and live a life of kindness and it creates a brand new category? And because of that category, people may just find Jesus. You know, in the middle of this cancel culture, can we have kindness? In the, in the middle of a culture that's just cannibalizing each other, canceling each other, criticizing each other, can we not fall into that trap, but rather, can we have kindness? Can we clothe ourselves in kindness? Not just this week, but the week after that, and the week after that. I realize some of you are like, I'm gonna need a supernatural work. You might. So can we pray for that? a supernatural work of kindness 
So can we do that right now, wherever you're at? Can you bow your head and close your eyes and allow me to pray a prayer over you, a prayer that invites kindness to be a part of our wardrobe, you could say? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my friends, wherever they're at. And I pray that right now you would help us to have an addition to our wardrobe, and that would be to clothe ourselves in kindness. God, I realize some of us, like myself, need a supernatural work of kindness to be worked inside of their heart because they don't feel like being kind. They haven't acted kind. They don't default to kindness. So Lord, I pray supernaturally, work kindness into our lives. And Lord, I know what that really means. This prayer really means there's gonna be opportunities to be unkind, but we're gonna have to choose to be kind. So even this week, as those opportunities arise, may we clothe ourselves with kindness. Do that work inside of us. Convict us when we are not kind, when we fall into the argument of one box or the other box. But rather, I pray, help us to create a new category, a Christ-like category, one of kindness. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before I let you go, I just want to say this. If you have never invited Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of your life, I would invite you to do that. I'd invite you to just pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I embrace your unconditional love. I want to live for you. I want a new life. If you do that, I promise you this, that God's gonna come into your life and he's gonna begin to work in a supernatural way. And he's gonna give you what Jesus says is life and life to the fullest. And we wanna come alongside you and help you with that. In fact, in a moment here, we're gonna go ahead and tell you about a resource that Jen and I wanna send you for free. So God bless you, City First. Thank you so much for being a part of today. In fact, join us next week. Join us on Wednesday for our praise and worship nights. But come back next week as we look into this verse about how to have a new wardrobe in Christ. Love you very much. God bless you.